Okay, our uh, scripture reading is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Father God, again, we come before you, uh, God, thanking you for all your many blessings, God, thanking you for uh, this Christmas season, uh, thanking you for uh, the fact that uh, during this time we can especially um, focus our attention on on the story of, of the coming of your son into the world. God, as we have, we, as we have celebrated uh, Christmas Day and um, at the coming of Jesus, as we continue through this Christmas season, as we head towards Epiphany, when we when we celebrate not only the the coming of the Magi, um, but God of of uh, the announcement of of the gospel to the Gentile world that we are a part of. Um, God, we just, we thank you for all of the pictures um, that we see during this time and, and the blessings and the grace that we have been shown that we celebrate, commemorate um, during uh, this season of the church. And so, um, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that shows us and tells us these, uh, these things and, and speaks to us these truths and tells us these stories. God, we ask that you would work these things, impress these things upon our hearts, that we would live in light of them not just in the days leading up to Christmas, not just in the week uh, or the 12 days following Christmas, um, God, but that we would live in these things all throughout the year and that we would 
honor and exalt Christ in everything that we do. Father, as we open your word, we thank you for it. We ask that you would bless us during this time, that you would use your word to sanctify and God, conform your people to the image of your son, and that we would be more like him because we are here, and that we would honor you uh, with our lives uh, because of your word. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, happy new year again. Um, so we're going to kind of uh, make, a, make a, a point that probably we make every year about this time, make, just talking about the idea of New Year's resolutions. I don't know how you feel about New Year's resolutions. You may think New Year's resolutions are stupid. You may have tried New Year's resolutions before, and, and they didn't really work. Um, I, was, I was looking up some information on, on New Year's resolutions, and it was actually kind of encouraging. Um, so this one study basically said that after one week, um, 75% of, of New Year's resolutions are still in effect. Okay, One week from now, 75% will be still in effect. Um, after two weeks, that number drops to 71%. After a month, 64 And after six months, 46% of people who make resolutions are still keeping those resolutions, which I'll be honest, I thought that's really high. Like I would have assumed that six months in, like they'd be like three people left, you know, who were keeping their, their uh, resolutions. But so those numbers are not as bleak as, as I was thinking. Um, but we kind of talk about New Year's resolutions every year. It's just part of, of the, of the tradition, I suppose, of the season and, and the things that come along with this. And, at one level, there's nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions. Um, it is a natural time of, of the year to sort of pause and think about new beginnings and, and steps forward. Um, it's a good time to adjust our priorities. It's a good time to try to uh, develop better habits, try to develop better structures um, so that we can live the ways that we want to live and have been called to live. But obviously, we can do that anytime. We should do that any time. At any point in our life, if we see something that's amiss, we should say, you know what, uh, today is the day that I'm going to change that and start living in a different way. But again, I think that the new year um, lends itself to that. But, but here's what I want to do today. I don't want to so much talk about us as a congregation making resolutions so much. But what I want to do is I want to remind ourselves of certain realities. And in light of those realities, our lives should be different. All right. And so that's not exactly a resolution. And yet uh, there's there's a similarity there. OK, and so that's what we're going to be doing as we go through this passage in Colossians. Obviously, we've taken just sort of a, a step away and a standalone sermon away from Luke into this this passage in Colossians. And it was just a passage that as I was reading during the course of the year, I thought, you know, there's some things there that I want for our church and would like to see in our church in the coming year. And obviously, many mostly broad things. OK, but but core things. All right. Central things to, to who we are and, and, and essential realities that we need to be reminded of in 2023. OK. And so the first thing is this. And we see it at the beginning of this passage is the radical reorientation of our lives that we have in Jesus Christ. All right. That is the foundation. And it's what all this other stuff flows out of. So look how he talks about it at the beginning. This reminder that um, something radical has happened to us. In Christ, it doesn't feel like that every single day, right? You can go throughout your day and, and, and sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but there is a, a radical thing that has taken place. 
And it is a radical future that we have been assured of and a radical reorientation of every aspect of our daily lives. So verse three, it says this, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. At the beginning of the passage, if you then have been raised with Christ, notice, notice the dual nature of the language. You have died and you have been raised to life. But if you know this, those are pretty significant things. When somebody dies, it's a significant thing. When you are raised to life, that is a significant thing. And, in, and then when one breath, Paul says in Colossians, he says, you have, there's a sense in which you have died and you have been raised. You have been raised with Christ. You have died to self, died to sin. These are incredible truths, radical things that have happened to you. You were dead and you're alive now. And all this is bound up in Christ and a glorious future that we have of union with Christ that we have to look forward to. And again, it can be so easy in the day-to-day stresses and and, and humdrum kind of aspects of our life to just like live like these aren't incredible things. And yet they are the most monumentous things that have ever happened. All right. You were dead in your sins and trespasses and you have been raised to newness of life. You have died to your sins, but now you are alive in Christ. These things are incredible and they should do something to us. Sort of reversing these passages, putting three and four ahead of one and two, but look at one and two. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. All right. So the radical thing that has happened to us should reorient every aspect of our lives. It should reorient your ambition. It should reorient what I seek after in this life. It should change our attention and our focus about everything that we do, right? What we pay attention to should be radically different than what we did before we were followers of Jesus Christ. And I love that there's two turns of phrase in this passage that just, just grabbed me as, and, and I'll point them both out. The first one is that one right there uh, where it says Christ who is your life. Man, what a cool, just to, just to meditate on that single line. Christ, who is your life. That's the reality, okay? Everything that you are, everything that you will be, it's all bound up in who you are in Jesus Christ. And so we pause at the beginning to say, man, this should change everything, okay? It should change who we are and how we live every single day of our lives, all right? How should it change us? We just said it changes our ambitions, our focus, our attentions, right? But another thing it does is it changes our relationship to sin. What are we called to do in in verse five? It says, therefore, put to death sin. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. If Jesus has done these things, if you are alive, if you have died, if you are bound up in Christ, then man, put sin to death in your life. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, 
All these different things. Because of these things, it says the wrath of God is coming on us. If the world just keeps on living in these things, God is going to bring judgment and wrath on the earth. And he says, you know what? In these things, you used to walk. Because all of us here, once upon a time, we're not followers of Jesus Christ. We were living according to the desires of the world and the passions of the world and the, and, and the, uh, the things that the world cared about, we cared about. And yet now something is different. The goal of the Christian life can never be separated from the mortification of sin and the pursuit of holiness. All right. And that's a key thing, man. I'm telling you, like you, you, you listen to certain people and, and we are certainly grace people. It is all grace, right? It is all what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We could not live up to what God has called us to if we tried our to the utmost. If the situations were perfect, we couldn't accomplish it. So we do not undermine the grace of God in any such way. But at the same time, That doesn't mean we ignore holiness. That doesn't mean that we ignore the mortification of sin. He says in this passage, put to death sin. That's what mortification means. And in these you once walked. You used to live in them. So there's a couple of things that that should make us think right there. It should make us think first, hey, you used to. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't continue to walk and live in these sins. Does that mean we're perfect? Certainly not. Does it mean that we stumble sometimes? Of course we do. But if you are living in such a way where you say, no, I just, I got this get out of hell free card and I'm just continuing to live how I always did before in terms of these things of the world and things of the flesh, there's a problem there. Because Paul says, in these you once walked. But if you're a believer, certainly you're not doing that anymore. In these, you used to live, but you're certainly not doing that more anymore. That should be a normal aspect in your life. And yet we know that just like a monster in a horror movie, right? The second you think it's dead, there's always like one more scare, right? There's always this moment where you're like, oh, everything's fine. And, and the monster has been killed. And then he rears his ugly head and comes back for one more scare. And you know what you do in that moment? I'm not encouraging you to watch horror movies or anything like that. Okay. But you know what you do in that moment? You put a bullet in it. Okay. When, when, when the sin comes back for one last chance, you put a bullet in it. You chop off its head. Okay. You burn it with fire. You put sin to death. You don't keep it in a cage and starve it and say, yeah, I can control this sin. I'll, I'll put it in its place and I'll have, I'll have dominion over it. You don't keep it on a leash so that you can trot it out sometimes to say, you know what? It'll be fine. I, I won't, I won't keep it very often, but every once in a while when I want to play with it and I'll bring it out here and I'll serve it for a little while and get the things I want from it, and then I'll put it back in its cage. You can't do that. If we have been raised with Christ, then the next thing to do is to put sin to death. In all cases, don't nurture it. Whatever that lust is, whatever that grudge is, whatever that self-righteousness is, whatever that anger is that you have in your life, and I, you have one. I know you do. I have one. 
Don't nurse it. Don't feed it. Kill it. Put it to death. All right? And so that's the first thing that this, this new life, this radical reorientation um, gives. Because, again, look at verse 10. It gives this language of you're a new person now. You are radically different than you used to be. Verse 10 says, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the of its creator. We talk about it all the time. We are in the midst of this identity revolution. People just changing their identities, changing their sexual identities, changing their gender, gender identities, right? It's maddening sometimes how quickly and out of control all of that stuff feels. But there's sort of a like funny illustration or a funny thing to recognize. This is our language. We've been talking about giving people radically new identities for 2000 years. The difference is, is that in one case, people are making their identities based on their own misguided, fickle, transitory weaknesses, and they're creating their own ideas about who they should be. And in the other case, we are letting our creator determine our identity. The God of the universe, who is not only our savior, who loves us, who has given us life, who's given us a purpose, he has taken a new identity and put it on you. You're a new person. And so if you're a new person in Christ, then put sin to death in your life. That's what I want to see people do in 2023. It's what I wanted to see people do in 2022. It's what I want to see people do till Jesus comes back and, and, and in every direction. Okay, It's what I want to see in my own life. Because this is something that we're all called to. It's one of the core aspects of, of who we are as Christians and what he's called us to. Verse 11, what does he say? Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all. Christ is all and in all. So what's he saying in that? He's saying this job of mortification, it's for everyone. This is the goal and the work in everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ. Resting in my new identity, living in righteousness, putting sin to death, having a life that is defined by these things isn't varsity Christianity, all right? It's not Green Beret Christianity. This isn't Navy SEAL stuff we're talking about, right? This isn't the few uh, people who who are the only ones, you know, that, that live this way and everybody else just does their own thing. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, this is for everybody. Any circumstance you come to, in the Christian faith, if you are from anything out there and you come to Christ, this is for you. The mortification of sin to, to live in newness of life before Christ. It's for all because Christ is in all. Notice that the language too that it has in, in verses 10 and 12. This new self that we are putting on in verse 10, it's indicative language. Right, it's saying it's telling you about a, a reality that already is. In verse twelve, it's imperative language. It's telling you about something that you need to go and do. And we've already talked about that a hundred times over the last few months. Right? It's the already and the not yet. It is. It is the Bible telling us to live like you already are. You have been made new in Christ, so live like you're doing Christ. Um, you you are you are sanctified, so live sanctified. You have been justified, so live like a justified person. There's an indicative and an imperative in all these things. 
So as we put these things on, well, what does that look like? Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. So again, what does this new self look like? Well, broadly, it looks like a sanctified character. And notice something about all those words. Because, and maybe we could probably go a different ways in this, but notice all of those words that it just said. Because to me, they all seem to be particularly applied to relationships with other people. Certainly, we could talk about sanctification and talk about it in terms of devotion to God um, or worship of God or, or something like that. That's obviously preeminent. When, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What does is, what is Jesus respond? Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first commandment. So certainly when we're talking about being sanctified, set apart, living in newness of life because of Christ, we, we would start there. But that's not where he goes to in this passage, at least it seems to me. It seems to me that he focuses more, in this passage at least, on the love of neighbor. And certainly those things are not uh, mutually exclusive or whatever. But notice those words. Every single one of them seems particularly pertinent to interpersonal relationships, compassion and kindness, humility and meekness, patience and bearing with others, forgiveness, and above all, love. This radical interest in another person's good, in another person's blessing, despite what it costs you, That's our definition of love because that's what Christ's picture of love is to us, right? That we care desperately about other people's good and we're not worried about what it costs us. That's what love looks like. And he says love binds all these things together, all these attitudes of the heart, all these character traits. It is love that binds all these things together. Relationships defined by these things are are central to the life of the church. They're really central to our life as as human beings. And you might say, okay, well, cool, Ash. Who is he talking about? Who am I supposed to be compassionate and merciful and loving and meek uh, and and forgiving to? Who is, is, is he talking about us? Is he talking about people inside the church? Is he talking about people outside the church? Is it about the saved ones or is it about the lost ones? Maybe you could say, who is my neighbor? Well, we know what the answer is. The answer is all of the above. He's talking about the fellowship of believers. He's talking about hospitality to outsiders. He's talking about kin and friends and strangers and enemies and everybody. That our lives would be characterized by all those things we just read to all these different groups of people. So here is my challenge, right? Um, not a, not a resolution, um, but a realization that, that points us in that direction is that I would say, you know what, in the coming year, 
make time for community. Make time for community. Make time for friends. Share your life with people. Serve other people inside the church, outside the church. I'm not going to give you a number or how many days a week you're supposed to do that or how many instances. Okay? You know your life. You know your schedule. You know your bandwidth. Those are only decisions that you and Christ can make anyway. But I'll tell you one thing. It can't be zero. All right? It can't be never. And you know as well as I do that it will be zero if we don't plan to do something about it. If we don't in our own lives make the priority, man, we will come here next Christmas and you will look back and you will say, I am no closer to friends and I'm no closer to church family and I'm no closer to the lost and I'm no closer to the least of these than you are today. We know that because... Our lives do that every every year in some ways, right? We look back and we go, man, there were, there were these things that I should have done or I wanted to do and I, and I haven't done yet. Again, I know you're tired. I know you got that job and I know you got those kids, okay? I get it. I'm in the same position and I have the same struggles. And there's so many times where you get home at the end of the day and you just say, man, I want the evening. I want the weekend. I want the Sunday. I, I But we know that if we don't, sounds trite, if we don't, if we fail to plan, then we plan to fail. So I would say, start thinking in your heads, making commitments in those ways, saying, and we're going to, we're going to do something to serve. We're going to do something to meet up. We're going to do something to, um, reach out. We're going to do something this often and try to plan it and, 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 and start making plans for those things and making commitments in those directions. I hope that that includes regular attendance here on Sundays, okay? That's part of your act of community, is being here with us on Sunday, okay? Now, I, I, don't, I don't know how you feel, um, but I can tell you how I feel. When you are not here, I miss you. Because here's the reality, I don't see everybody every week, right? Some of you are in small groups with each other, right? So you see a certain group of people all the time during the week. And so maybe you see them on a Tuesday, but then you you don't see them Sunday. That's okay because you still feel connected. But I'm not in that situation. In many cases, this is the only time I might see some of you during the week. Now, again, that's something that I want to rectify too. I don't want that to be the case. But man, when I don't see you on Sunday, I miss you. And I notice the distance, Right. I notice that I know less about your life and what's going on in your life. And I wonder what's going on in your life. And I wonder what you're going through. And I wonder what you're struggling with. And I wonder what these things are. And I don't have an answer because I haven't seen you. So I encourage you be here. Right. Make this stop one in terms of community each week. Obviously, it serves many more functions than that. Like the worship of the one true God. That's pretty important. Okay. But you know what? The fellowship of believers is pretty important too. So make a commitment to be here. I hope that also you will include a regular connection with small groups during the year. Okay. Again, it may look in different ways. You may have that, that weekly small group. It may look something more like the, the women's coffee and chat group that meets every other week or something, but make a commitment to those things. 
be there. I know it's a hassle, okay? Because you know how I know it's a hassle? Because I've skipped it for the last six months, okay? When we shifted our small groups at the beginning of the fall, basically what happened is the small group that I usually went to dissolved, and then the small groups that existed didn't fit into my regular schedule. And I went, oh, well, that's okay. I'll figure it out. And you know what? For the first few weeks and months even, I was kind of like, well, it's nice to have my night back. It's nice to just not have somewhere else to go on a weeknight or whatever, okay? I'll be honest in that, right? But then guess what? The same problem that I'm talking about arose. As we get a few weeks or months in, I start looking around going, well, you know, I don't know what's going on with people. I'm not connected to them. I don't see them regularly. I don't hear the stories. I don't know what is going on in their work and their family and their lives. And so if the one finger pointing at you has the three fingers pointing back at me. Don't do that. Connect. Again, maybe it won't look quite like that. I, I don't know what's going on in your life and your schedule, but I hope that it won't be just those things. It'll extend beyond official church meetings. You'll have people over for dinner. You go to birthday parties, you'll meet for coffee, you'll meet for breakfast, you'll meet for lunch, you'll share what's going on in your life, you'll talk about the word of God with each other. That couple who is in the church um, that you wish you knew better, make a point to connect with them. That lost couple that lives down the street from you, and you keep on thinking to yourself, man, I would like to invite that person to church or at least find out where they're at in, in their faith, if they know Jesus at all, if they're backslidden or just out of church right now, I'd like to know. Do it. Invite them over for dinner. Have them out for lunch on a Sunday. Plan to serve in some function. Plan to serve in some way. I don't know what that looks like, right? It may look like formal things that we try to get going in terms of, of the ministry here at, at, at College Street. We've talked about this idea. We talked about it at the last business meeting of this, just a, a cute name, calling it So Ministry, Sojourners, Orphans, Widows, right? S-O-W, um, a picture of sowing seeds in our community, but also specifically to those groups that we've talked about over and over again. You don't have to do those things with our congregation, although that would be awesome. And make time to do those things in your own lives. Take your family with you on a, a weekday mission trip, right? An evening after work, a Saturday morning or something like that. And go and find a way that you can serve other people. Make a plan, set a goal, and engage in community with the church and with those outside the church, okay? So that's one thing. That it looks like to live this way. But what, look at verse 16. Man, another, here's my second phrase that just was a, a phrase that stood out to me. Verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's a cool turn of phrase. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So three things quickly out of that passage. Let the word of God in 2023 dwell in you richly. What does that mean? Man, be in the word this coming year. Plan to be in the word this coming year. You may already have a plan for what that's going to look like. I don't know what you do in terms of your daily devotional time or your Bible reading in general. 
You may already have a plan. You may have used it for years. I don't know what your deal is. I, I put a little thing on Facebook yesterday. I've got a plan that I'm going to do to read through the New Testament this year. I, I, I've done something like it before, but it's a little different. It's 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 geared so that you kind of do it in chunks and you're not just reading, you're reading sort of one book of, of, of the New Testament per week, or if it's a big book, have, you know, a chunk of that book or whatever to kind of keep a certain, uh, you know, group of passages together or whatever. If you don't have a plan, maybe you want to do that. I think it would be cool if we all did it because it would be neat to read the same passages every week as a congregation. But also I know that maybe you already have something, a plan that you're going to use. And so I'd encourage you to do that too. That's fine. But plan to be in the word in some way. And, and, and it's the kind of things that you probably, if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard these things for years. You know what you do? You pick a time. You pick a place. You make an appointment with God on a daily basis. You say, God, I, this is how phones are. Um, I'm, I'm going to meet you at Panera at 730. Monday through Friday. That's what I'm doing, actually. That's my plan, okay? It's sort of been my loose plan for like the last six or eight months or whatever. That's my general plan. I get off UPS and I go straight to Panera. There's nobody there yet. And I got that coffee subscription and I go and I sit in the back corner and I read the scriptures and I, I usually have some kind of devotional something I'm reading too. That's going to be my appointment every weekday with God. Am I going to make that appointment every day? Probably not. The plane's going to be late or the kids are going to have a doctor's appointment or something like that. I'm going to have to change my schedule. But man, I'll probably be there most times. And so I'm saying just make an appointment with God. Make an appointment with him and stick to it. Use use helps, right? If you need a, if you need a study guide, use a study guide. If you need a reading guide, use a reading guide. If you need a book to go along um, with it, then then do that. But if you ignore it, we know what will happen. You will continue to drift from the fellowship of God. Same way you've drifted from fellowship in relationships. Same way I've drifted from those relationships. And man, there are too many temptations out there. Okay? There is too much junk that when you get away from the testimony of the word of God in your heart on a regular basis, when you get away from other believers speaking into your life, when you get away from those things, the devil is waiting there, all right? And and the, the, got the, the men in here who have been at, at men's meeting over the last six months, you know what I'm talking about because I've told you story after story of, of all kinds of men whose lives are on the rocks because of these very things. So don't let it happen. Make, let the word of God dwell in you richly in 2023. Another thing, what does it go on to say? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So right, that, that relational aspect, it, it connects to this idea too. The word in you dwelling in you richly has only done half its job. 
until you have transmitted it to somebody else, until you have taught it and shared it with other people, it's only kind of doing half its job. It's not bad that it's dwelling in you richly only, but man, it's supposed to be shared. It's supposed to be taught. It's supposed to be taken to other people. Allow it to encourage others and convict others. And even in certain relationships, rebuke others. And if it does, then it's doing its full work in the lives of the church. Now, there's there's some specific things that that we're going to try to get into over the course of this year that deal with the idea of teaching and admonishing others, okay? So one of the issues that, again, many of y'all are not privy to is we've been talking about in our men's leadership meetings once a month, talking about this idea of eldership and talking about, and I'm sure a lot of y'all are going, Ash, man, we've been talking about this like two years. Like, where are we at with it, okay? And here's where we're at. Part of the problem that we're at is there's a whole bunch of character qualities for eldership. There's one task, skill, proficiency that you have to have, and that is the ability to teach. But the reality is, is that if you're going to know that somebody has the ability to teach, we have to have given those people opportunities to teach, right? Makes sense, okay? There's no way we can know if you have the ability to teach if you've never had the opportunity to teach, And so how do we give people opportunities to teach? Well, one of them is to come up here and do this, is to to preach from the pulpit, okay? That's a big step for a lot of people. I'm just going to say it that way. Like, it's a big step for somebody to go, I am not teaching, and now I'm going to be standing in the pulpit in front of everybody preaching. Okay, that's a big step. Um, But what we're going to try to do over the next uh, few months is start to create some, maybe on, with our, our discipleship classes on Sunday night that we usually do um, before church, we're going to have opportunities for different guys to come in and teach a segment of those lessons, right? Just to give an opportunity for people to show that they can can uh, speak the word of God clearly and teach it in, in, in rightly divide the word of God. So that's one of those things that we are going to be working on specifically for our church. Another thing that's been on my heart is we've got, we've got a bunch of littles. Okay. We've got a number of kids who are, you know, at seven to 12 year old age range or whatever, who are starting to ask those questions and saying, I I think I want to become a Christian, but what does that mean? And how do, how do we go about that? Right. James is one of them. Some of you, y'all's kids are those same kids. I, I want to, have a time where we do a class or something where we kind of walk these kids through the gospel and teach them what it means to, to know Jesus Christ and trust in him. And again, that's a, it's a weird thing. Um, if you got a kid, it's a, it's a, it's a hard balance to know if they're ready and if they're really understand and if they're really, they understand repentance and they understand faith and all those things. But you know what? The only way we can go about that is preach the gospel to them, right? Teach them the gospel. Teach them what the word of God says about their own sin and about salvation in Jesus Christ. And then we'll let God work in those things. And we'll try to be faithful. That's another aspect where it's I'm, it's something, the specific aspect of teaching and admonishing that I want us to be a part of, okay? But again, those are just two specific things. He's talking to all of us. He's not talking to the official pastoral ministry of the church in this passage. He's talking to the body of believers, We need to be people who are speaking the word of God into other people's lives. You can't do that if you're not in the word yourself, and you can't do that if you're not in community, okay? So there you go. A third one that he kind of drops in here that seems a little bit, if if I said, what are the most important things for you to do 
probably many people say, yeah, you got to be in community with believers. You got to be in the word. Those would be normal things. But then we get to this next one. It's kind of maybe, maybe not to you, but to me a little bit, it's out of left field. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He puts that in the same category as holiness and mortification of sin um, and, uh, and and teaching and being in the word of God, dwell, letting it dwell in you richly. Sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So again, plan to be in the word this year, but plan to sing the word of God this year. And that could look like a hundred different things. Okay. I appreciate uh, the small group that meets at David Weathington's house and uh, that James is a part of, and, and you guys got to see them come up during the Christmas service and um, both the lessons and carol services, right? And do that chant from Psalm one. Okay. And here's the deal. I'm not saying you should go all, everybody go out and do the chant thing. That may be your thing and it may not be. Okay. You may, that may have resonated with you and you may have gone, now that's something, not something that I'm into, but here's what I do appreciate about it. It's a, it's a way of saying, let's do what it's talking about here. Let's sing the word of God. Let's sing the Psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs, right? In our house, one of the things that Christy has done for years is picked an hymn a month. And so throughout the course of the year, she teaches our kids a hymn and they know a hymn and they sing it over and over again. And like every morning it's the same hymn and, and whatever, right? To familiarize them with those songs because a lot of those songs get lost, right? And you say, well, well, who cares if they get lost, Ash? It's just a song. It's not the word of God. What difference does it make? And it makes a big difference because these songs have a neat way of dwelling in our hearts, Okay. There's a way in which, man, scripture is scripture. And so we're not, we're not minimizing that in any way. And yet there's something unique about the way a song can stick with us. And that in moments of trial and darkness and whatever else, man, these lyrics come back to us. And so God uses that. And so again, I don't know what that looks like in your house. Um, I hope, I hope it looks like some kind of family worship or something like that. Maybe it looks like a song that you sing. Uh, around the breakfast table. Maybe it's a, the, the, what the music that you are playing as you're taking your kids to school in the morning before you go to work. I don't know what it is. Um, maybe you learn to play an instrument so that you can sing and, and play with your kids these songs. But he's commanding us to do it. He's saying this is part of what it looks like to be people who have turned our lives over to Jesus Christ in these ways. Okay? So again, now those are some broad categories. And they're not resolutions. They're reminders of realities. They're things that we should already know. They're things that we should already be living in light of. But Paul is reminding the church of of the Colossians about it. I'm reminding us. I'm reminding myself about these things so that we can live in light of them in 2023. And how does he close it all? Verse 17. But whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving him thanks, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. No matter what you do in all of these things, who you reach out, how you reach out, how you engage with the word, how you engage with the community, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God, the Father through him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father God, we ask that you would use us in the new year. God, that our lives would be uh, refocused, that our hearts would be retuned to the things that you would have us be about. God, the things that your word calls us to, the life that you say is a, a necessary consequence of being in Christ, of being saved by Christ, of having been dead and raised to life, have living in sin and dying to that sin, and now uh, living in Christ. God, these things are necessary. They are indicatives and they are imperatives. That They're who we already are, and they are also what we should be doing. And so we ask that you would help us to do that, God, that you would bless our families, that you would bless our marriages, that you would bless our workplaces, that you would bless... Um, the, the organizations that we serve with and, and the teams that we play on and, and the communities that we are a part of, God, that as we put sin to death in our lives, God, as we dwell richly in your word, God, as we share that word with other people, and God, as we sing your praises every single day, God, that in all these things you would remind us of our identity in Christ, you would draw us closer to him and make us more like him. God, that you would use that to bring revival to this world. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing this last song. All glory to our God.
see you. Glad you're here tonight. Happy New Year. Um, hope it's been a good uh, Christmas season. Um, one more reminder about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So next week will be the last Sunday that we'll take up Lottie Moon. So if you were planning to give to the Lottie Moon offering and you haven't yet, um, you can obviously get it to me during the course of the week. But next Sunday will be the last day that we're taking it before we, we send the money in to, to uh, the cooperative program. So um, if, if you're not aware, there's these little red envelopes out there. You can get one of those red envelopes. You can you can put your donation in there and then put it in the offering plate, and that way we'll know where it goes and that it's separate from the from regular giving. So, um, but one more week of, of Lottie Moon, and and then um, we will send those those funds in uh, to the cooperative program. So, uh, thanks for being here. Good to see you. Um, hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.